Hello, and welcome to They Made Another One, where each week we scour the depths of franchise cinema, discussing both the treasures and horrors we find. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week we watched a film. We did. We Yep. You can't say we didn't watch a film. And that film was the 2010 remake reboot sequel not really a sequel to a nightmare on elm street itself called a nightmare on elm street directed by samuel bayer or buyer i don't know what his preference for pronunciations are but what i do know is that this movie was produced by platinum dunes which is michael bay's production company and doesn't exactly instill confidence in me and their ability to make a horror movie now, I'm not the resident horror expert on this show. That title would graciously fall to Liam. So before we get into A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010, I was wondering if you could sort of set up your kind of experience and knowledge with the franchise and maybe if you know sort of like how we got to this movie. Okay. Yeah, my experience with the franchise is that I've always been a big fan of Wes Craven, who wrote and directed this movie. Um, when I was a kid, I got into Scream and uh, The People Under the Stairs. I caught them both on TV. But it wasn't until very recently that I decided to um, check out the films from start to finish. That was my plan anyway. So a couple years ago, I watched the first film front to back, and I was just blown away because I had never been particularly fascinated by the Freddy character in popular culture. I knew that he was um, this dude who who had one-liners sort of like Chucky and was a bit goofy and um, sort of campy. And so I wasn't looking forward to that because I'm not super into that as a horror fan. And so I watched the first film and it was very serious and it um, took itself and the character very seriously. And so I really, really loved this first film. I loved the way it played with the dreams. I thought it was some of the most accurate uh, depiction of the surreal and off-putting way that dreams work. And I thought that Freddy was a creepy character. I thought that he was pretty subdued he's in shadows a lot of the movie he says a few lines here and there but when he does say them they don't take attention away from the scares and so I, th I thought it was I thought it was really nice I thought the focus was on the characters and not on Freddy which which isn't what I was expecting and so I, I was ready to check out the rest of the franchise and I did that for a little while I watched number two which um, is a bit goofier and Freddy uh, is a bit more prominent of a character, but I still thought that one was a fun movie. And then I watched number three, Dream Warriors, which is a lot of people's favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie. And I wasn't as thrilled by that one. I thought that um, it leaned a bit too heavy into a dream logic that I am not super fond of, where it's, it's just a clear one-to-one, -one, okay, this person is, you know... Uh, a wrestler and so they dream about like wrestling or something mm -hmm. um that, that's not actually in the movie but but you know what i mean it's it's like the dream is is so closely related to to real life and i don't think that's that's how people tend to dream and also freddie is just he's popping off more one-liners and it's clear at this point that they understand he could lead a franchise so after i saw number three i i actually stopped watching not because I thought three was bad and I didn't want to do it anymore, but just because the public consensus was as we get deeper into the franchise, it's not going to get any better. And so I thought, okay, if, I, if I've if i been um, seeing diminishing returns in two and three personally, then maybe I'll just call it there. And so since I have seen the first film two or three more times, and I've loved it more each time, and after... Freddy versus Jason came out. The franchise was dead for for a good while. Um, Wes Craven had moved on, and um, he wasn't involved in the sequels at all, anyways. And so, the franchise lay dormant for a little bit. And so then we were we were far enough removed from the last sequel in the franchise, and uh, of course the original. That I think the idea was Michael Bay's production company just saw success with the Texas Chainsaw remake, the Friday the Thirteenth remake, and they just decided, okay, this is an icon, and it's something that we can sell. So that's how the remake came about. With that sort of setup, which, and, you know, I'm going to characterize that setup and what you just said about, like, Platinum Dunes sort of seeing opportunity here 
I'm going to classify that as a pretty cynical way to look at the franchise as a thing that exists um, in the sense of like, oh, what we can do with this is just cash in almost. Um, so with that sort of setup, I, if I remember correctly, you had seen this movie before we watched it for the show, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, just recently, I rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street in, in the basement of a condo in this giant projector room and it was just awesome i was i was blown away yet again and so i decided hey i might as well make a weekend out of this and i will finally get around to that remake that i have heard is awful you had heard it was awful oh yeah what were your expectations going into it was it like yeah this is going to be like just a cash grab like did you have any optimism going into that initial viewing that you had I did because I had the idea that people were saying it was awful because they were very attached to the franchise and it wasn't what they wanted. Whereas I knew I was only attached to the first movie in the franchise. Also, the the remakes that Michael Bay's production company has been doing, the Friday the 13th remake and the Texas Chainsaw remake from 2003, I like both of those movies, man. So I was um, I was thinking that it really could go either way. Okay, and then before I ask you how you ultimately felt, I'll set up my perspective on this movie, which is I'm like 90% sure I've probably seen all of the original Nightmare on Elm Street, but not in like a single sitting. I haven't seen the second, but I have seen Dream Warriors, and Dream Warriors kicks ass. I think I got a lot more out of it by not having the franchise baggage, so it's like Freddy could be a little bit sillier and that wasn't a huge detractor for me. And like it can have a different tone than they initially set up in that first movie and it's not a huge issue. So my understanding was a bit lighter. So going into this movie, I had read that um, I forget like the specifics of how they phrase this, but it's like, you know, we want to go back to the like the dark and sort of like the not the brooding, but maybe like the grittier, more almost mean-spirited like we're getting rid of the one-liners we're taking this seriously approach that's the approach that like sam buyer and co had going into this and seeing as they're sort of pining after the tone and the setting that that first movie has and you love that movie a great deal in one sentence how does the 2010 nightmare on home street hold up well, if you had asked me a couple of weeks ago when I watched this movie for the first time, I would say it doesn't hold up very well. But considering that you're asking me now after I've seen it a second time, I think it holds up all right. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Um, I I think it's terrible. <laughs> I think it's, yeah. it's al- like almost in a profound way. Like it doesn't work on almost every level for me, but I'm really interested in what a second viewing may be brought to the table that I might not necessarily have. The first thing I want to cover before we get into that is, um, so this is a remake, effectively. It's not like a shot-for-shot <laughs> remake. Okay, is, is it more of a reboot? Like, correct me here, because you're kind of like the expert. Like, would you call it a reboot then? I truly have no idea what differentiates a remake from a reboot. Okay. I I understand what you're getting at. It feels like a remake because we have scenes that are pulled directly. That's what I wanted to ask you about. How much of the good stuff is pulled from the original movie? Uh, You'll probably be able to pick it out as we go along. Okay. Um, But the the reason... (laughs) (laughs) I, I know that... The filmmakers, at least some of them, don't consider this a remake or reboot. I'm sure they're they're quoted saying that at some point. What is it? Because it's it's still a franchise movie, right? It's not a sequel. Some people say it's a sequel. It's how? It's the same characters? Well, just what I'm getting at here is there is an interview with uh with one of the the writers of the film, and he says that. The filmmakers, some of the filmmakers, I don't know which. Which I'm not writer generalize. is it? This is important. The the writer who did Arrival, Eric. Okay, good. Because I also read stuff with him, but I didn't read anything with uh, uh, Wesley Snick. I didn't read anything with him. Yeah, so Eric says that they lobbied to have this considered a sequel. 
that way they wouldn't have to give Wes Craven a story by credit. Yeah, that's gr- that's so gross. And while he petitioned to have that reversed, he thought that these are Wes Craven's characters and, and he should be credited. Um, he lost, and so Wes Craven does not have a credit. And so for that reason and that reason alone, I guess it's a sequel. But yeah, I'm with you. I would call this a remake. And also, I know that some of the actors were contracted to do more than one film in the franchise. For example, Jackie <laughs> Earl Haley was That's signed optimistic. on to do, I think, two more sequels. So in that way, I guess it's a reboot, right? Because they're yeah. trying to kickstart a new franchise. Yeah, so, it, I, you know, I guess it's both. And know. it can definitely be both, I think. I don't think this is necessarily a soft reboot, but I also think we could get caught in the semantics of this for the rest of our lives. Let's get focused. Um, I'm focused. I'm so f- I'm laser focused. I just shot myself full of adrenaline. I'm I'm better now. Okay, I have actually I have a complaint. Um, yeah. he gets shot with adrenaline, and it seems like it does nothing. <laughs> have you ever done adrenaline, Corey? No, have you? Well, no, but <laughs> maybe it's like that. <laughs> uh, you're right. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Okay, what? Mm-hmm. Actually. I'm going to start. <laughs> so I want to start with what I think works because there's a couple things, um, hmm. just not a lot. So I figured mine might be faster if you've kind of, if your opinion has taken a turn on this movie. Before we get into what we like and what we don't, for anybody who for some reason is listening to this, has not seen the original, has not seen this movie, here's the plot of this movie. <laughs> Basically, there's a group of teens in this town um, I don't know if they all live on Elm Street or what the deal is. Um, I know some of them definitely live on Elm Street. And... <laughs> yeah, you know, I I don't think in the original, I don't think the the term Elm Street is uttered once. It's just, you know, there's an Elm Street in every town. Right? It's a, Yeah, it's just assumed. Yeah, and um, they're, uh, they all go to the, this high school. It's like a loose group of friends. There's like some relationship issues and whatever but basically gradually there's sort of dreams are being invaded by freddy krueger um you know freddy krueger i'm not gonna explain who that is and we're helping of, you along but not that much yeah like at a certain point i'm gonna stop holding your hand and you just gotta figure this out for yourself <laughs> google freddy krueger but so he's like able to invade their dreams it's discovered that, you know, his invasion into these dreams can cause, like, genuine harm. Uh, if you die in the dream, you die for real. Like, Spy Kids. Um, this is how little I care about the plot of this movie. I don't want to talk about it. Basically, Freddy Krueger can invade your dreams. Um, they're trying to get to the bottom of who he is, what their relationship to him is, why he's able to do that, how can they stop it. You know, naturally, you're only dreaming when you're asleep. So, they have to try to stay awake. And that sort of delirium leads to an interesting push and pull between the dream world where Freddy hangs out and the real world where they're trying to just sort of keep their wits about them and keep their, their like their minds clear. And they do interesting stuff with um, transitions between that Um, a little bit like Hellraiser Inferno does between, are we in like the hell world? Are we in reality? Um, It's a similar kind of thing. You know, there's, there's twists and intrigue and there's like a cover up and whatever. It doesn't matter. It turns out that um, they had all attended the same preschool where Freddie worked as like a janitor and he did uh, some bad stuff there. He did some not good stuff and the parents revolt and they burned him alive. And now he's just very angry uh, and he's seeking revenge uh, in this dream space. That's yeah okay well well let me stop you then so okay so you seem pretty dismissive of this plot Corey, and i guess that just interests me because everything you said is the plot of the original film right which most would argue is a much better film and so i guess i'm wondering are you dismissive of the plot because the film it's attached to in this case is no good and yes. then you're like but so but why is it that none of that interests you uh yeah, we'll just get into it. It lies in execution. It's not that I think the idea is bad. It's that I think that the filmmakers don't know what to do with it. Okay. Not don't know, but the ideas... I don't know. Hmm. Give me a sec. I don't know how to articulate it other than, like, it's just... 
it's trite and it's predictable and it's not making what feels like a meaningful effort to do something unique within this premise. It's trying to make the most stock horror movie you can with the veneer of a premise that has been proven to be good by somebody else. It will draw people in on the strength of, you know, this blending of dreams is really compelling. On paper, Freddy as a figure is like deeply intimidating and unsettling. And they're going to, you know, use intuition and wit to sort of fight this. But then in practice, it becomes like a very run-of-the-mill, jump-scare-based, box-checking, boring experience. My biggest complaint, and the reason I think dismissive is the most appropriate word, is because there were points where I just stopped watching. Like, like you fell like, asleep. I wish. Um, <laughs> and I just wasn't listening. And I'm going to be upfront about that. Like, there are sequences in this movie where I just checked out completely. And I'm like, I'm done. Hmm. I'm going to wait till this sequence is over and then the movie can try again later. And then okay. when the movie makes an effort, it it's weird because it feels like it's pulling in two different directions because it's like it wants to be dark and it wants to kind of take that angle on it. And that's totally fine. And I think some of their attempts to do that are good. Um, I think that like f- factory, basement, boiler room, whatever it is, warehouse set. I like the set. I think the set's good. I think a lot of the transitions between the dream world and reality are really strong. I think the dialogue is some of the worst I've heard in a movie and I don't know how long. And I think that everything in between sequences where they do dip into the dream world, you could cut from the movie and not lose anything. What are some of those sequences that you could cut? This is not a joke. Some of them I'm definitely just not going to remember. This movie did not stick with me very well. Um, One that jumps to mind for sure is stuff like you have Nancy and you have Quentin. And there's a point where Quentin and Nancy go to like a library and they're just like, you know, they're doing the horror movie thing where you're like, we can look this up. And they're like researching into like sleep and dreams and whatever. And it's like, he goes on, they didn't have the license for Google. So he goes on something called Giga Blast. Yeah. Um, And he just like, yeah, they're just using the search engine and they give this a scientific explanation in a way, like instead of just being like, they're sleep deprived and that's going to mean they're nodding in and out of sleep uh, because that's how the human brain works. Um, and that means they might slip in and out of the dream world. They opt to give it the scientific explanation of micro naps, which I think in theory isn't terrible. But I also think that giving it a scientific explanation um, is kind of like defining the force via midichlorians. It's more interesting when you don't know. The idea that it's supernatural or mysterious or like Freddy actively being predatory or just something other than, yeah, I fell asleep a little bit, micro nap. Cut that out. We know what's happening already. They're sleep deprived. The other thing that's not drawing me in or rather was not drawing me in while watching is that stylistically, I'd say this movie shows up every 15 minutes with an interesting thing to look at, maybe 20. Like other than that, it's just everything else is just so flat and like dull and and all the writing's really predictable and the dialogue is bad like there was no meaningful effort made to make it like unique and i don't think a movie has to be unique to be good but this movie needed something and i think uniqueness would have helped Mm. but i do want to know when you first saw it what did you think and what changed when i first saw it i thought it was largely forgettable i was forgetting scenes as they happened that's a much better that's a much more succinct word to use for the thing that i was trying to say i i didn't like freddy at all which um sort of surprised me i was excited to see freddy i know that jackie earl haley is a respected actor and i know that they were trying to go back to what freddy was like more roughly in the original and so i was excited for that but i thought Man, I thought the makeup looked bad. The makeup I thought looks... he, he 
Uh, which is it's just rough because like I know the 80s was the time for you know special effects and and makeup and practical effects and so I get that it it looks great in the in the 80s I'm not taking away from that but I was hoping they'd they'd make it you know look great again they have that opportunity but it looks like uh, one of the rebooted Ninja Turtles you know those look better Freddy sucks in this movie Freddy's the worst and not in the way that like he should be the worst it's just bad he's not intimidating or scary i suppose he's mildly threatening because you know like he's committing violence so like that's an inherent threat but like the voice is goofy the one-liners don't go anywhere they're just worse <laughs> because they're not attempts at humor so they're just gross <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm still struggling with how I feel about those because some of them made me feel disgusting, but I, I honestly couldn't tell if I was recoiling because I thought the line was um, was just, you know, on the nose or if I was recoiling because it was genuinely creepy. And I'm honestly leaning more toward the latter. I think I think some of those lines are, um, I don't know, they, they seem to have found this sweet spot where it's like, it's cheesy but it feels like the kind of thing that this perverted guy would say once he's free to be as perverse as possible in this afterlife dream world that he's now living in. Yeah, I suppose it's not out of character, but I just I couldn't help but roll my eyes constantly. And not even just at his lines, but just sort of everyone's. When you have your intimidating, blade-wearing, nightmare pedophile, and you have his voice pitched down like 65 octaves, and his voice is really high in the mix, like he's super loud, like significantly louder than everyone else talking, um, yeah, and he just point. says, I'm your boyfriend now, you'll lose me. Just completely. Because that means nothing. That's a nothing sentence. I'm literally throwing my hands up in the air. I don't know what to do with this. But... I feel like I keep stomping over your opportunities to say what you like about this movie now. So I want to open I want to open that up a bit to just like let you be positive in this space because uh, sure, I feel like sure. I'm really bringing it down. I'm not going to gush. Um I wish I wish that I could. I honestly do. I was just surprised, right, after seeing it a second time and feeling a bit differently. Mm -hmm. So again, the first time I watched it, I felt a lot of what you felt. I did I didn't think it was terrible, you know, maybe more unfortunately. I just thought that it was very forgettable and it didn't have much reason to exist. And I maybe I still do feel that way, but in watching it a second time and paying close attention and maybe being able to gloss over the things that I knew that I already didn't like. I was able to hone in more closely on things that I that I did like and I was able to be surprised a little bit. And most of that stuff came out in the second half of the movie, maybe even maybe the last third, because for a lot of this movie, I, I just I wasn't into it. I thought, yeah, I thought the writing was bad. I thought we were just we were totally rushing through um, yep. the premise entirely. You know, we, we get that opening scene and we see Freddy immediately and someone uh, slashes their throat and is killed by Freddy right away. Opening and scene's not terrible, pretty much until it ends and then it kind right. of loses me the setup doesn't suck yeah I, th I actually i think it's a pretty cool way to um th they say this is one of those cases where this is a movie for a new generation right that's what they say they want to they want to make freddy scary to a new generation because you know people don't watch movies made less or more than five years ago rather so I think that this opening scene is kind of a cool way to establish the central conceit of the movie while also hinting at Freddy for people who are fans of the franchise because you only see him a bit, right? You see, you see his glove and you're going in and out of the dream world. Mm. Um, and so, so I, thought, I thought that was okay. Why did it lose you at the end there? Uh, just what you were saying where it's like he just shows up and it's a very dramatic like dean slits his own throat it's just this big like whoa <laughs> like <laughs> like this big violent display and i feel like if it was a bit tamer if it was a bit slower a bit tamer if it built a little bit more yeah and then that that sort of pace that uh dark in your face gloomy pace keeps up for i mean the entirety of the movie but mm -hmm. it's really noticeable in, in the first little bit where we're setting up the whole film up. Because normally in a horror film, 
you, you kind of get a breather. Often there's a cold open with a kill. But after that, you get a breather, right? You're just getting to know these characters. Things are... And then gradually, they start to realize that there's something afoot. Whereas in this movie, you know, the second or third scene, we have all our main characters at a funeral. And they're looking all broody. The aesthetic is very dark and heavy. I saw someone online describe this movie as looking like rust and used toilet water. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention... Uh, we immediately go get to dream world again like instantly she falls asleep at that funeral movie it's been five minutes so i guess the idea at that point is just that they've already been battling with this for a long time right it's like we pick up it's like we're picking up at the movie in like its third act because they hit that moment where it's like the the four of them haven't spoken to each other about it but they're all sort of dealing with it I don't think they do anything good with it, but I like it. Like, the idea here isn't bad. Again, what I ended up liking about this movie is a lot of stuff in the last third. I, I felt the weight of Nancy and Quentin trying to stay awake. I, I couldn't tell you much about before it comes down to those two characters, but I think once everyone else is out of the picture, I, I, I did like Quentin and Nancy being together, trying to figure this out, struggling to stay awake. I thought the idea that oh, I'm so tired, I'm dreaming while I'm awake, which um, is said by the character on the webcam who they find online. Because, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you could just have that and not have them Googling the micro-nap, right? Like, that that sort of makes sense to me. And then it's like, so with that established, I thought, okay, these scares that are that are normally cheap because it's just... It's a case of, you know, in any other horror movie, I see something scary... Um, and then when I look back, it's gone, right? I'm only scared for a second, and then and then the the monster has disappeared. In this case, I thought it worked because the jump scare is literally making the jump scare go away, right? It's snapping the protagonist awake. And so when Quentin and Nancy are driving in their car and they see Freddy and they they get startled and they they swerve off the road, the reason he's not there anymore is because they're now awake, right? Mm-hmm. So. So I I started to buy into that idea, and I also liked um, the idea that the dreams come from repressed memories, that it's this small-town secret that their parents are hiding from them. And I even liked Quentin saying that maybe, maybe they lied, right? They were kids. Maybe they implicated an innocent man. And I was, I was thinking to myself, you know, I saw this movie a couple of weeks ago, but I don't remember how they deal with this. Oh my gosh, what if they did actually kill an innocent dude? How are they going to get around this? And so from that point on, I was invested. And then they end up revealing that the boiler room is uh, Freddy has been luring them there because he wants them to remember. That's what Nancy says at some point, which I thought was super creepy. And so when I watch movies, right, I want to enjoy myself. And so I knew that I didn't enjoy myself one time around. So I thought, okay, I'm going to watch this again and and I'm going to try and I'm going to I'm going to see what I can get out of it. So like this was the movie's redemption arc to like yeah prove itself in your eyes yeah yeah totally and it's still i don't it's not something i would uh, is it something i would recommend someone maybe you'll have to ask me this later in the show honestly i i would put it on with someone else in the room i wouldn't tell someone to watch it by themselves but i think i would watch it with someone i think it's the perfect example of like that time a few weeks ago when i came over and you had texas chainsaw on and uh-huh. we just watched it because it was there and it was something to watch and yeah. we had fun watching it. Um, I think this movie, you could make the argument that it's good for that. Uh, I don't, we can save proper recommendations for later. Spoilers uh, for the end of this episode of the show. I do not recommend it, but I do want to speak to a couple things. I think we have to get into the sort of production woes of this movie a bit more. But before we do that, I do just want to say that in that third act, there's also some stuff that I do like, but once again, it's a lot of the transitions between the dream world and reality in the pharmacy when Nancy's on the floor and it's just like coming in and out. I think that. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think they made one of the wildest decisions I've seen in a movie in ages, which is that Quentin is on a swim team. And when they decide that they need to give the exposition for what happened with Freddy Krueger, um, mm-hmm. Quentin dives in a pool. 
he gets pulled under the water by something and he comes up in like a weird alleyway in a speedo in his like swim outfit and just gets out shivering and then the parents drive up in their cars and the exposition happens which is just crazy I thought it was a super cool visual seeing him, you know, shivering and blue and cold and watching, watching as his, as his family and his parents are doing these things to this man. I thought it was really cool looking, mm-hmm. but it doesn't make any sense. I don't know what it means. Sense. Did he and fall asleep? How while did he, he was dream sleeping? that? How would he have dreamt the thing the audience needed to learn? Exactly, exactly. Like, I mean, I've fallen asleep in the shower, but I don't understand how how it comes from the pool. I think him getting pulled under is a cool visual, but I don't know what it means. But maybe, even if the implication is what if Freddy made him dream it, how would Freddy have that kind of perspective on that event, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, he would be in the building trying to get out, locked in, burned alive. It doesn't work. It's cool looking, but it doesn't work. Um, I think another thing that's cool looking is uh, when that hallway turns into blood. I, I thought that was super cool because it's an it's a homage to two scenes from mm-hmm. the original, as yeah, far yeah, as yeah. I can tell. That there's I a scene knew. Where Nancy, I knew the yeah. blood geyser thing. Right. So there's a there's a scene, not only the blood geyser, but there's a scene where Nancy is going up or down some steps in her house, and she starts to sink in the stairs. That's good. Um, and so I thought that this was a reference to that. I thought it was a really, a really cool visual, a really cool practical visual too, right? Yeah. With with Freddy's face looking, I don't even know what's going on there, Corey. Like it's yeah. prosthetics, yeah. but it looks like some of it's it got to be CG, right? Yeah, and so it just the CG I think trumps also, most they, of. They clearly had good practical effects. There's no reason why him coming out of the wallpaper should look that bad. Uh. Yeah, that's that's disgusting. Um, and also, before we get into the production woes, this is just something I feel that's important to point out. Um, I don't know where Jackie Earl Haley went in his career, but Nancy is played by Rooney Mara, and it's really, really, really weird. Um, yeah, how do you feel about that? You're a fan of her, right? Yeah, so this was a weird... This was a journey for me. Um, initially, I wrote down that Rooney Mara's casting was inspired, thanks Lisa Field's casting for that one and then i decided it was bad actually and i changed my mind and then by the end i kind of changed my mind again um so i think that's my way of saying i think her performance is okay um i think she's probably one of the higher points in the movie in her scenes that are good but i think a lot Mm. of this movie suffers from the direction being flat so then the performances are flat and then everything is flat and i guess we can kind of get into some production stuff now um not unlike michael bay who sort of got his start doing music videos um samuel bayer as a director has done a ton ton of music video work uh including but not limited to uh the video for smells like teen spirit which learning that was a wild thing to learn and i feel like there's shades of music video in this movie like some of the lighting's weird but there's just this like kinetic force behind the camera that makes you think it's moving to keep up with something like maybe action or a song but it's like not nah, just people talking sam you can lock that camera down it's all right so the directing i don't think is a huge issue i think it's flat but the big thing with this movie and the woes that it kind of had is the script um we alluded to this a bit earlier there was an initial draft by Eric uh, Heiserer. I have no idea if I'm saying that correctly. I'm sorry, Eric, if you hear this. Um, I don't know how to say your name. Um, he's now um, an award-winning screenwriter, wrote Arrival, among other things. And in a recent interview from, I believe, March, he did a thread on Twitter basically breaking down how like the whole script or at least large chunks of the script in many ways had been completely reworked by the time they were got to set to shoot. Uh, Here is a quote where, um, on my first day on the set, a crew member told me, in this intro scene for the two leads, we decided there wasn't enough dialogue for them at this party, so we took some dialogue from page 87 and put it here. In case you were wondering, this is not how this works, and that was one of the many things I saw undone. I was really curious about what, it was that happened to this movie um you can find the the screenplay just online um the original screenplay there's just a pdf of it um i read the first 25 pages or so 
not only do I think the scares are a lot more considered, but we don't need to delve into that because ultimately that's not the movie that got made. But the entire introduction to the movie and its characters is completely different. Like, it's a different setting. It's different dialogue. It's a different dynamic. It's a different everything. Um, And I think that's a testament to the fact that this movie clearly got just absolutely mangled in the production process. Uh, and I think you can feel it. Uh, you mm-hmm. can feel it in how flat it is. You can feel it in its pace and how it just kind of moves and seems like it's going really quickly over a lot of things just to get the like scares that feel like partially considered almost. The whole script was different um, upon shooting. And I think that that's felt and I certainly think it makes it worse. Eric uh, Heiser had said that they were actively trying to avoid slipping into horror tropes. I think a good example is something that you mentioned earlier, which is when they're driving and Freddy is just in the road. The original script didn't have him in the road because the expected scare is that Freddy's in the road. Then somewhere along in this process, you know, things changed. And I think it's important to consider... I think when you're considering how both you and I feel about it, it's important to note that this is the context where the movie comes from, because I think that makes it a really good candidate for my reaction, which is just outright, like, dismissal. And I also think it's a really good candidate for your reaction, which is, you know, some of the good stuff made it in here. Like, there are things worth it in this movie, and I think there's stuff that works, and I think you can tell that a lot of that in some capacity is probably lifted from the original script and probably stuck to that pretty closely when it was directed and shot. Um, And I think it's a shame that that's not the movie that got made, but it's what we, it's what we ended up with. So I, I definitely know that my, my negative, my negativity is coming from a place of the movie having like a difficult process. Yeah, um, part of me just thinks that it was sort of doomed to be unremarkable from the get-go because the problems that I have with it, you know, Freddy speaking and looking and moving the way he does and the movie looking the way it does, like rust and used toilet water. It's all execution. Um, yeah, that's stuff that that is just sort of there from the beginning. And so I think... Maybe that original script in the hands of yeah, in the hands of someone completely different would have would have been a better go of it. Um, this creative and, team was almost destined to make this version of this movie. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good way to put it. Um, because I think a lot of the quotes you can see them on the Wikipedia page. A lot of the early quotes from the producer and the director are just super vague statements that are you know I agreed to do this. Samuel Bayer says, I agreed to do this movie um, when Michael Bay called me and convinced me, you know, how good it would be for business. And he just, he made a lot of sense. Ew. And, um, you know, I want to bring Freddy to a new generation and we want to bring it back to its roots and stuff, right? These are just super, Those are these are contradictory gener- too. It's like, you can't, <laughs> he called me saying it was a good business consideration, but don't worry, I love the character and want to serve the character. It's like, well, either you do or you don't. And it's frustrating because I feel like there's so many people in this world with a commitment to the character that to see it done in that sort of passive way um, is upsetting. Um, There's something I wanted to ask uh, because I have no idea if it's true or not, but I want to see what you think. I know that you dream a lot a lot more than me and have uh, had if you issues with like sleep paralysis and that sort yeah. of weird blending of am i dreaming or not do you think yeah. that helps you like this movie holy man uh, that's a great question Corey. i honestly hadn't even thought in the slightest of that which may be is a knock against the movie that it didn't <laughs> that it didn't make me think of these terrifying experiences I have because for the people who don't know uh, sleep paralysis is is when you um you're sleeping but you get caught in this strange place between being awake and dreaming and um 
and dream images seem to invade your real world and you feel paralyzed as you're watching these dreams take place in front of you in a, in a, in the a real life setting that you're in at least this is what it's like for me and um you're right i do get it occasionally and it is very scary but no the film did not <laughs> it didn't even remind me that i that i have this happen to me yeah you know what that's 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 probably why i like the first movie so much is because it it feels like dream logic um a lot of the times you know you you're in for example, Nancy is in her high school and in uh, in the distance in her hallway, there's just a goat standing in the hallway. Right. And it's like it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything, but it's a bit off. And um, and so that's something that that I might see when I'm in this paralysis state is like I see a goat standing in my living room Um and it's not doing anything nefarious, right? It's just being a goat, but I can just, I can feel that something is off because of that. And um, yeah, I, I didn't get a lot of that from this movie. This movie, the scares that worked for me, um, like the jump scare in the car worked. And it's interesting that the, the writer has a problem with that. This is when they're driving in the car and they see Freddy. Yeah. Because I think... In a movie like this, it's just like a jump scare is a jump scare. So I don't know if I would have been any more enthused had Freddy been in the back seat and had gored Nancy through the back than I was with just seeing him standing in the road. Either is just equally, it produces the same effect. Sure, but I think there's something novel in it not being, oh, he's in the road. Because like we've seen, oh, he's in the road. And I would have appreciated seeing a version of that where it's like, you know, the audience is gearing up for he's going to be in the road and then he's not in the road. Mm -hmm. Just a little bit different. And I think the movie sort of sways between that, which is sort of like expectation. And then when it tries to break your expectation, it just does the biggest imaginable thing it can think of. Um, and I wanted to ask about how that sort of jives with like your sleep paralysis experience because you're saying like it's freaky because there's just a goat here and that's all and that's ominous on its own i'm assuming a lot of your experiences then wouldn't be super reminiscent of like an entire classroom turning to ash it's just so much that yeah like, you don't need to do everything there's a scare that i think works until it doesn't which is it's i believe it's nancy is in the school and notices down a hallway like a body bag being pulled that has like Chris in it around a yep. corner in a way that part works. Then it becomes a jump scare where a corpse in a bag starts to just scream and they're just in the center of the frame and standing up again. And it's like, this is nothing. This is just someone yeah. screaming. Like there's nothing. I know exactly what I'm looking at. There's nothing ominous or like frightening about this. It's just, it's exactly what it is. You presented to me something that I can perfectly understand. <laughs> the other thing, there were some like shots that I enjoyed, but like they felt too iconic where I'm like, this has to just be from the original movie. Um, I knew the bathtub thing was, but there's like, I feel like Freddy just likes to drag his claws on stuff a lot. That's got to be I had the him, that's what movie. I would do. Like there's that, there's a point where he's in like the boiler room or whatever and he's just like walking down the hall and he's just, like dragging his hand, like sparks are coming off. And whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, this is this this feels too eerie to be from this movie and i think that's what kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth is that a lot of the stuff that i know i thought worked my gut tells me it's from the original movie and that's that's always kind of a downer and i guess like for me this whole experience was a downer not because i was like super excited to be like this is going to kick so much ass. Like I wasn't hyped for this specific movie, but I was optimistic that, you know, they wouldn't necessarily hit like every pitfall. And for me, like coming, looking at it in a, uh, in hindsight, that's really just what it feels like. It feels like the pitfall of rushing to scares the pitfall of flat direction the pitfall of boring dialogue the pitfall of jump scares the pitfall of like 
trying to one up yourself. It's like it's all here. The gang's all here. It's just I didn't mm-hmm. invite any of them over, and I want them to leave. What did you think about uh, Fred Krueger's backstory and that whole, the whole subplot of this guy maybe molested our children? Because they dig into that deeper than is in the original. Yeah. That stuff is all pretty new. And I mean, I think, you know, it goes without saying, uh, that's horrifying. Like, the implication of that is, is gross and it's disturbing and it's not something this movie is prepared to adequately deal with which is why it doesn't like it makes the implication but i don't know i don't know how to articulate it it's not like it it feels like it doesn't commit cuz then they, they like go to the room where it probably would have happened but it's like yeah. the rest of this movie doesn't feel like it's um it's prepared to carry that and I should say that that's a sentiment that I believe I read in the Roger Ebert review. And I think it's a really important way of framing this where it's like, this is not the movie to deal with that subject matter at all. Not even a little bit. And I think that it's the movie trying to one up itself again. It's not enough that this demon man <laughs> from the nightmare realm is killing teenagers He's also a pedophile. Okay, so you made the bad guy worse. But if you're not prepared to, like, meaningfully deal with what the trauma from that experience would be like beyond we knew each other before and our parents made us want to forget the bad thing that happened to us, like, if you don't want to actually engage with it, don't put it in your movie. No, I I totally understand the sentiment because that's something that... uh... Wes Craven wanted to tackle in the original film and um, there were just news stories out at the time that that made the material pretty sensitive and so they decided to just make him a child killer Um, and then this movie right it wanted to go back to the roots it wanted to make Freddy scary again and so it it decided to dredge it up and um, none of that resonated with me the first time around but seeing it for the second time there were um, these sparse moments of dialogue and, and, and a couple scenes that, that did kind of affect me. Um, the idea that, that these are all repressed memories and that's why they're dreaming these things, um, I thought that was pretty poignant. And I liked Quentin's initial reaction when he hears from his parents that this is what they did. He, he thinks, oh, you guys, you guys killed an innocent man because we're kids, we were lying, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I thought that was that was neat. Not that yeah, <laughs> I don't think yeah. it's neat that we're saying, oh, accusers uh, might be lying. Nothing, nothing like that. I just I just <laughs> yeah, thought that's, that that's not I th- what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, not at all. Not at all. I shouldn't even say that. No, I just I just think it's interesting that. Um, well, it just made me interested to see where the rest of the movie went. Right. To see, oh, Quentin is saying, you know, maybe maybe this isn't what it seems because he was there and this is an interesting twist. Yeah. And then. And then the scene where they find photos that right. the audience doesn't see and, and, and Quentin and Nancy are forced to face this and they're saying, oh, no, this did happen. I actually thought that scene in particular was super affecting. And you're right that this isn't the movie to deal with that um, entirely. I mean, this wants to be a, a fun you know, in quotes, fun. This this wants to be a movie that that teens can go enjoy and jump at. Yeah. And there's um, a version of this movie that can, I think, handle this. It's just not this one, right? And so I think it's there in bits and pieces. And mm-hmm. you know, fortunately, I'm I'm I don't have any experience with with abuse like that, so I'm not able to say if it's offensive or or in poor taste or anything. I can just say that that a few of those moments really did. Um, uh, affect me and the way that I perceive these characters, and I was I was actually a bit moved. Mm. And yeah, and the least the last I'll say on it is that I I don't disagree in the sense that I think that some of it is effective, and I think that you know it's an inherently disturbing piece of subject matter. So to like meaning to dredge it up specifically, I think inevitably will get under the skin of your audience, and it certainly got under mine. It's like you know, even just hearing it kind of makes your skin crawl. But I think that if they, if it feels like they're using it more like a signpost for scary or unsettling yeah. than like an actual thematic anchor of their movie. 
and that makes it mm. feel kind of crass. Yeah, um, I, th- I think I think um, if most of the movie feels pretty mechanical in its scares and its character construction, then anytime serious subject matter is brought up, it's just it's going to be way more easily perceived as as thoughtless and and crass. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not to imply necessarily that the creative team did this without thought, but it's just that's how it comes across. Um, and I think that that kind of speaks to my whole experience with this movie is that it's not like I think nobody here tried, but it feels like nobody tried. It just, nothing lands. And I may, I'm exaggerating slightly, but it's just the whole experience for me kind of felt like I was going through the motions and it feels like the movie's going through the motions. And I think that that kind of leaves us with a well of squandered potential and misguided choices and just kind of like a weird hodgepodge of a product. And I think with that, we we kind of reach the end of the journey that is A Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. It's um, no one can tell them they didn't make a movie. <laughs> and uh, with that, we would like to thank you once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and other podcast services as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at theymadeanotheronepod at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, really anything. We'll do our best to respond to everyone who reaches out. Liam, where can people find you? You can find my film writing alter ego at Twitter and Letterboxd. My handle is Graham the Mallow. That's G-R-A-H-A-M, the Mallow, like marshmallow. Uh, and I have been Corey. I am at Mr. Corey Price on Twitter, M-R-C-O-R-E-Y Price. And with that, thank you once again. And we will catch you here next time for more. They made another one. Yeah, it would be cool if a theme played yeah, right there. No, we yeah, need to find like, something that's perfect. Where the theme comes in. Ba 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 ba.